Hello, and welcome to Thriving Educators. I'm Brian Langley. In today's conversation, I speak with Lisa Rice, a first grade teacher with 26 years of experience. Besides leading six and seven year olds, Lisa's also a union representative, teacher mentor, and member of multiple committees. And to top it all off, Lisa was Novi's Teacher of the Year in 2018. In this conversation, Lisa shares her approach to classroom management. Enjoy. Lisa Rice, hello. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, Brian. How are you? I am doing really well, too. I wanted to let you know that uh, when I was thinking about this podcast, I was really hoping to do one with Lisa Rice talking about how she handles classroom management. And then I was so thrilled that when I reached out to you, the topic that you wanted to talk about was classroom management. How does it work so well in your classroom? So over the years, um, you just evolve as a teacher and try different things. And I guess I would preface this by saying that some years certain things work and then you get a new class and what worked last year didn't always work the next year with a different group. But hopefully I'll share enough um, that you can try different things and see if they work for you. Um, I think the most important thing is the first few weeks of school to reserve that time to establish routines getting to know your students, building relationships. Um, We do something called the name game where it's an interactive writing routine and we pick a stick, so we randomly choose a child and on a big piece of chart paper, we write their name in big, bright, colorful letters and then that child comes to the front of the room and stands in front of the group and gets to say three sentences about themselves. You know, I play baseball, or I love chocolate ice cream. And then we actually add a little language arts to it where we, you know, talk about capitals and periods. We circle the vowels. We draw fancy shapes around it. And then we hang their poster for the entire day. And then they can take it home. And then the next day, a new child is chosen until we go through all of the kids. So we're. We're getting to know the children's names, their likes and dislikes. They find out things they have in common, and it just makes them feel really special. So it's a great connecting activity for the first few weeks of school. I have. I also really think that the first like two weeks are really important. And I, the first day of school is always one of my favorite days of the entire year. I just love getting to meet the mm-hmm. new students, starting to hear their stories. It's very exciting. So I, and I also have a name game that I kind of go to. Continue on, talk to us more about how you tackle this classroom management. Sure, um, so also in those, those few first few weeks, you want to focus on procedures, how we line up, how we transition, um, just setting your expectations so they know, you know, if you expect a quiet line, they will practice a quiet line when you're lining up. If you want them walking in a single file down the hall, that's how we practice from day one. Just repetitive over and over so they know what's expected of them. If you you know, expect them to come in, hang up their stuff, take out their homework folder, put it on their desk, 
in first grade, all of those little things need to be practiced and rehearsed. You can't assume that they already know what to do, especially now that we've been in a pandemic and a lot of these kindergartners were virtual last year. This will be their first time entering school next year for a lot of kids. So it's just important to practice those routines. Right, that, that makes a lot of sense. So when you think about a school day, I think that maybe you think, okay, I have to do this uh, literacy lesson or this mathematics lesson or something like that. But it's also important to be deliberate that you're setting up this, um, the routines that yes. your students are going to be doing and the expectations. Right, setting them up for success. We also... Um, talk about just being organized and you know having their pencil box out with their sharpened pencils in it so when you're in the middle of teaching you don't have a child running up to you with a broken pencil um and if they do they can just trade it they don't have to worry about sharpening it um just little things that that make the interruptions less and you know so the whole class can focus longer so i'm curious you set that up in the first couple weeks of school right is it something that you then have to revisit or is it something that you've you've set the expectations and the procedures so well that you don't have to go back to it again I really believe that if you set them up um, well in the beginning of the year the only time you need to practice is when a new student moves in and the kids show okay. them and I have you know boys and girls can we show you know Johnny how we and they're just thrilled to do it because they've got it down. And when we have a guest That's teacher, great. they're very good about showing the guest teacher the routines of the classroom. This is how uh -huh. we do it in Mrs. Rice's class. I can imagine they first take graders taking of it. that yeah. initiative. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Thank um, you. Keep going. Yes. So I also like to, you know, build relationships, as I mentioned briefly. So when, in the beginning of the year, we try to do a running record on each child to get you know their reading level. We do writing samples and conference with them. And during that time when you're reading with them, conferencing on writing, maybe doing a math assessment, you can get to know the child a little bit too because you get to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with them and bond with them a little bit. Oh, I like to read about animals too, or you know, just kind of getting to know them and you, allowing them to realize you're human and real and you're not the scary, you know, person, you know, if you're, if they didn't know you the year before. And, and then I also like to reach out to parents if I can on the first week or two. And I know that's easier with elementary because we only have 25 or 20 kids, not like high school. But if you could, you know, even make a five minute call or email and, you know, how, how's the first week going for your child? You know, what have, have they had any, you know, concerns or, and, and tell the parent, you know, it's normal to be tired and it's normal for them to be a little bit anxious. And, and this is, you know, we're working through all of this and, and, and celebrate their strengths on their first week too. So you're building this bond with them already. So if you ever have to call in the future about a concern, it's not the first time they've heard your voice. Right, so being proactive with those relationships. What else do you do? Mm -hmm. So, Brian, the one um, thing I really strive to do is keeping my tone positive. So if I'm in my classroom and um, we're lining up and there are two people talking in line, instead of focusing on the two children talking, I'm going to focus on 
the 18 being quiet. And oh, look at Bobby. Notice I'm using all very old fashioned names. <laughs> I'm aging myself here. Look at Bobby, you know, standing in line with the quiet signal. Great job. And, you know, or look, and, and they look at Bobby, and then the next one is being, and it's just a chain reaction. And that way you're not drawing negative attention to the talkers, and the talkers, it's, it really works like magic. They want to please their teacher. Yeah. So that did, did that take you time or to be able to develop that, or is that something that you, you learned through the years? Well, I'm a pretty positive person, um, so I kind of naturally did that. And I've also seen it work the other way where kids were, you know, scolded and isolated for making whatever, if you want to call it a bad choice by being loud in line. Um, and I just feel like it just works so much better and they feel good about themselves because then as soon as they are quiet, I can compliment, oh, great job, Johnny, joining in, you know, and our line is perfect. Now we can go out to recess. And everybody's happy, right? It does. The way you explain it, it makes so much sense, Lisa. But I, right? I feel like um, that's just a really good way to frame how you deal with classroom management is to try and frame it positively, and to to keep um, praising the things that are going right, and then trusting then that the uh the students want to want to do that yes it it works most of the time um so another thing that is can be difficult for teachers is if your class is engaged in an act you know let's say they're doing indoor recess and you need to get their attention it's time to clean up it's good to have a go-to way to get their attention that they know whether it's class class yes yes clapping turning the lights out. It doesn't matter what it is, but just so they know that's our class signal. When I give that signal, we stop, look, and listen. Okay, um, so what's what's yours? Which one did you pick? So I have done all of the above. Okay. Um, this year, I just turned the lights off. Um, it works like a charm. They stop, they freeze, and they look at me. And but I've done all of them. And they really work, if you practice them, they do work well. And when you start talking to them, you know, your voice is gonna be a little bit louder at first because they're loud, but then you, you gradually start to decrease your voice to a whisper, and it works like a charm. They just, they, they try to hear you, so they all start quieting down. Or I'll say, boys and girls, you know, I'll continue talking when I can talk in a number one voice and you can hear me. And they just tune in better when you're, when they're, when you're yelling, which I don't yell, but, you know, they just kind of tune it out more. I don't know. I just feel like whispering is a great little trick for getting them to listen. All right. I think I've seen that one work before, too. Um, can you talk yeah. to me a little bit about... Um, the role of demonstrating confidence uh, in the classroom as a teacher. Yeah, Brian, I gotta tell you, that's a toughie. When I first started teaching, um, I was with my mentor teacher, Ellen Zaloken, who is just amazing. Um, I remember looking across the hall at her room and her kids were all perfect, quiet and engaged, and mine weren't. 
And I said, how do you do it? And she said, Lisa, it, it will just come. It just takes time. I don't know what I'm doing different. And, and it's true. The longer you teach, the more confidence you build. And the kids can detect that confidence in your voice. And I don't mean mean, firm. I just mean they, I, it's hard to describe, mm -hmm. but they know, you know, uh, that you're, you're not asking them, you know, you're, this is what your expectation is. And that's the end of the story. And you just have this air of confidence and they listen. So sometimes that does take a little bit of time though. So talk to me I, a little bit, please, maybe about, um, talking so like first graders I assume they want to talk they want to mm -hmm. uh, interact with each other you also want um, order what what is the what is your balance how do you find balance there so yes and that I can take you back a little bit with that too because when I when I was young as a, you know as a student myself when I first started my career talking was considered bad behavior like if you walked into a, a classroom and it was loud that teacher did not have control and now it's different we face the children unless it's covid um toward each other in tables so they can you know converse they can share ideas they can help each other they can work cooperatively um we want them talking and conversing as long as they it's productive they are on task they're talking about what they're supposed to be talking about um and you do know if you know if you're walking around your classroom and you have proximity with the students you know if it's healthy conversation and productive conversation and that zero noise level that was back in the stone age is not you know what is expected today however students need to know that there are times that we're completely silent you know, when we're doing a math test, there's no talking. When we're lining up for a fire drill, there's no talking. So they also need to know that there are times when it is a voice level zero. And, and I imagine that managing that goes back to a few of the things that you've already talked about, like practicing it and also probably the positive reinforcement. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Practicing. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about... When you notice that maybe a lesson's going too long or the, the, the engagement is starting to wane, can you talk to us a little bit about how you might manage that kind of a scenario? Absolutely. So uh, when I think of lessons going a little bit long and the students kind of tuning out a little, it's, it, it's usually a, maybe a math lesson. Um, and I have nothing against math. I love math. But... I just noticed they sometimes tune out more in math than other subjects. So like if I'm doing a smart board lesson and we're learning a more difficult concept, some of them will start tuning out and, you know, talking, getting bored. So I have these two mice puppets on my desk. I started with one, Mousy. Isn't that an original name? Yes. And then I decided Mousy needed a buddy, so I bought another one, and I named him Cheesy, another okay. original name. So I have Mousy and Cheesy. And I don't take Mousy and Cheesy out all the time, but when I do, they help me teach. And they 
will, you know, come on my finger and they can hold the pencils. They can teach the math lesson. They have their own voices. <laughs> um, they talk to the kids. They look in the Elmo at the kids. And I am telling you, Brian, I could be teaching my first graders your physics, although I'm not <laughs> smart enough, but, and they would listen if Mousy and Cheesy are doing it. They okay. beg me to take them out. So it just kind of reels them all back in and, you know, let Mousy teach this lesson. And, and they, I, I, it's just like magic again. That's so. fantastic. Okay, Lisa. So I'm curious if you can help me understand how you deal with a student who's acting out. Sure, Brian. Uh, now, again, you know, every child is different and every situation is different. But first of all, I always keep in the back of my mind that when a child is acting out, there's a reason they're acting out. Children aren't born bad. There's something going on that is, you know, making them make those bad choices, whatever it may be. So I like to take a child one-on-one -on -one alone, and it is hard when you're teaching because you have a whole classroom full of other children, but whether it's um, sitting with them on a bench at recess or um, you know, having the rest of the class do something quietly while you're talking to them, any way you can to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them, get on their level, look them in the eye, listen to them, and just what's going on, buddy? You know, I can tell that you're frustrated or, and, and let them talk. And if you have built a relationship with that child, nine times out of 10, they will open up to you and tell you what's on their mind and you can talk through it, you can work it out, you can offer them strategies. When you're feeling this way, what else could we do besides hitting Johnny or you know, dumping the table over or whatever. Um, and just letting them and telling them they're a good kid and you're such a good boy or girl. And, you know, I know that, you know, it didn't feel good after this happened. And, and then talking to the parents. And whenever I talk to the parents, I let them know how much I care about their child and I'm not calling to tattle on their child. I'm calling them to help their child. I am their partner being really raise that child for the year that I have them. It's not just academics. When you're a teacher, it's the whole child. And when they know that they're on board and they, it, it just really helps yeah, yeah, that to is have so those good. bonds with the child and the parent. And, and I, I try to do that too at the high school level. So I feel like that's something that, that probably is true K-12 then is um, you don't want to do anything that would escalate the situation. Mm -hmm. You don't want to call the student out in front of everybody necessarily. You kind of want to wait to that time where mm -hmm. you could, you can really talk to the student and, and see what's going on. I, that's a really good point. Okay, so I'm, I'm really starting to get a good picture of what classroom management looks like in your classroom. I'm curious if there's more that you'd like to add. Yeah, Brian, the one thing that um, I like to remind teachers is, you know, don't be afraid to let your students see your human side because kids sometimes have this perception of their teacher that their teacher is perfect 
and can do everything right. And when they make a mistake, they get all down on themselves or if they're not reading up to par. So whenever I make a mistake, for example, I cannot draw to save my life. Um, and I'll be drawing on the Elmo and it, it's laughable. And I say, see, boys and girls, Mrs. Rice really struggles with artwork, but I try. And, and yeah. you know, I try to have that growth mindset, never give up. But I am just not good at art. And I'm also not great at sports. So I go out and play with them. And I mean, sometimes it's laughable too, but it, it doesn't matter. I'm trying and I'm showing them that I'm not perfect at everything. And it's okay that they're not perfect at everything they do. And it just makes them feel so much better that my teacher can't do this well either, or I'm better at this than my teacher. But And it just builds their self-esteem and just kind of everybody's human. All right, that's that's great. So that's, I feel like that provides a, a good opportunity for us to do a little bit of a transition and um, into, I, I wonder, as you reflect over your career, if you could describe for us how your approach to classroom management has evolved or, or any tips that you can give or, or any perspective that you have on reflecting back over a career and, and changing. Absolutely. I would say um, <clears throat> regarding classroom management, I definitely um, am more positive because I think in the beginning, I really thought that, you know, if some a child was acting out, you had to focus on that child. Whereas now I'm realizing little tricks where, no, let's bring attention to the other kids. Mm -hmm. um, and building the relationships. You, when your students like you, um, love you, you could even say, because you, you really do end up just having a parent-child relationship with them as the year goes on. It, it's a very strong bond. And when they feel that strongly about you, they want to please you. They want to be good for you, and they want you to be proud of them. And they, it just comes natural, their, their behavior. Um, so I just feel like that's the most important thing you can do is build those relationships and let them know how much you care about them. And the other thing, Brian, is no matter how many years you've taught, there's always room for improvement and there's always value in visiting other classrooms and watching other teachers teach, whether it's a second year teacher you're learning from or a seasoned teacher like yourself. There's always takeaways. So never feel like you've maxed out your learning capacity as a teacher. Um, just be open-minded. There's always room for improvement and, and try to make yourself available when you can to learn from others and to connect with others like you. Oh, thank you. All right, that's, that's perfect. Okay, so as we, as we round this up, um, are there any education-related reading recommendations that you'd be willing to share with us? Yes, um, I actually have wide little um, repertoire in front of me. So the first one is one my daughter recommended. Um, it's the first year teacher survival guide, not necessarily for me, although I probably could benefit from this book. Um, but it's just this large, thick book. Julia Thompson is the author. And it's got 
everything a first-year teacher could ever need in this book. So I would recommend this for new teachers. Thank you. And another one is um, Total Participation Techniques, and it's by, I'm not sure how to say the last name, H-I-M-M-E-L-E, Hamel, maybe? Um, Persida and William Hamel. And that one focuses on um, engaging students in higher order thinking, um, just demonstrating their depth of learning, and kind of knowing whether or not your kids are really understanding what you're teaching. Can they communicate that and taking them to higher levels of thinking? And then the third one is um, a reading strategies book by Jennifer... Sarah Vallo, I believe is how you say her name. And I think most of the coaches actually in our district recommended this book also. And it's just a great book full of reading strategies, how to modify instruction to meet your students' reading needs, developing goals for reading. Um, so those are three books I would recommend. There are just so many um, great resources out there now which is wonderful. Okay, thank you. And last question, uh, what's on your mind these days? Is there a particular problem that you're trying to solve? So, um, yeah, well, not a particular problem, but I um, have been given the title work mom at my work okay. for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think I might be one of the oldest teachers on the staff. And I just have a very maternal side of me that I I can't help. It's just how I am. Anyway, so as part of my work mom role, um, I really try to help people when they're stressed out. And it doesn't matter what it's about. If it's a personal issue, if it's a professional issue, um, I just want to be there for teachers and even my own parents. Because now that I've raised two children and they've turned out pretty well, I... You know, I'm not hesitant to help my parents. I'm confident in that arena also. Um, and I just, that's one of my passions, is just helping people through whatever they're going through, knowing they have someone they can trust and confide in. And when you're a happy, healthy teacher, your students are in a happy, healthy classroom. It, so it, that's just important for teachers to be feeling good. And it's it's been difficult this year. So. We all are looking forward to a little summer break. Yeah, I agree. And I, I appreciate that point so much. Um, well-being is something that's that's on my mind, too. Um, so thank you. And thank you for this entire conversation, Lisa. Um, I pre I've enjoyed it uh, thank so you, much. Thank you, Brian. And um, yeah, uh, Lisa Rice, thank you very much for being on the show. It was an absolute pleasure, Brian. I'd love to come back and talk with you again. I am looking forward to that. And that wraps up episode three of Thriving Educators. I want to thank Lisa Rice for sharing her classroom management strategies. There was a lot to like in this podcast, and I know now I'm going to be more intentional about using positive framing as a classroom management philosophy. Take care, everyone.